Hi, everyone, and welcome to Val Cafe. My name is Brian Hostler, founder of Strong Roots Consulting based in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, which is on Treaty 6 territory and the traditional homeland of the Métis. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host. Hi, everyone. I'm Carolyn Kamen, an independent evaluation consultant working out of Vancouver, B.C., coming to you from unceded Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations territory. This podcast is an informal chat on evaluation topics, the kind you might overhear at your favorite coffee shop if your favorite coffee shop were frequented by evaluators. This podcast is for everyone, expert or novice, longtime practitioner, or just starting in the field. Even if you don't identify as an evaluator, as long as you have an interest in evaluation, this podcast is for you. So on today's episode, we're joined by someone who is most likely familiar to many of our listeners, and I'm speaking about Dr. Michael Quinn Patton. Just a quick uh, uh, official introduction, a little bit of a bio. Uh, he is the founder and CEO of Utilization Focused Evaluation, which is an independent organizational development and program evaluation organization. His doctorate is in sociology, and he served for 18 years on the faculty of the University of Minnesota. Uh, he's also the co-author of multiple books on evaluation, including, and you take a deep breath here, Utilization-Focused Evaluation, Developmental Evaluation, Facilitating Evaluation, and the topic for today, Principles-Focused Evaluation. Uh, just to move a little bit beyond the CV, I remember my first uh, face-to-face with Michael was at the 2012 AEA conference in Minneapolis. Um, I just finished reading the Developmental Evaluation book, and I learned about the two-day workshop that you were offering, and I kind of didn't hesitate to sign up for that and book my plane tickets to Minneapolis. Um, and that experience was kind of my first introduction into the broader evaluation community. And since then, my connections in that world have only grown to the point where I'm co-hosting an evaluation-themed podcast. So um, without any further ado, uh, welcome, Michael, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be uh, able to join the program. Are we, are we sharing our, our how we got to know Michael stories, though? Are we starting with that? Because I have. Sure. <laughs> I, I, well, I realized yesterday... Uh, as I was prepping for this episode, that um, the developmental evaluation uh, book was published in like June of 2010, which was about a couple months before I started grad school and started on my whole evaluation journey. So I'm like, okay, I've been doing evaluation about as long as developmental evaluation has been. Um, <laughs> but Michael, I don't remember the first time I met you, but I do remember actually the first of your books I read was Getting to Maybe. I got it out of the Saskatoon Public Library uh, where there is a copy uh, and it was uh, has such a huge impact on me. And I've been really enjoying following sort of the the, the growth and transition of your work from the, the utilization-focused evaluation to developmental evaluation to now principles-focused evaluation and really excited to have this conversation with you. Well, the, um, the reason the developmental evaluation book exists is connected to the Getting to Maybe book. Um, Francis Wesley and Brenda Zimmerman and I, when we did that book, originally had a chapter on developmental evaluation in the book. And the editor at Random House Canada um, thought that this book had the potential to be a tipping point, Malcolm Gladwell kind of book, but that nobody would really ever have a best-selling book that had a chapter on evaluation in it. So <laughs> she wanted that chapter to come out. And what resulted was a three-page, four-font footnote about developmental evaluation in Getting to Maybe. <laughs> and uh, the rest of it, I said, I'll just do a whole book on developmental evaluation instead of having a chapter in Getting to Maybe. 
so there's direct lineage from getting to maybe to developmental evaluation. Mm. That strikes me as kind of a maybe a, a good metaphor for the evaluation field that we end up as a, a four font, uh, four size font um, footnote in a in a broader book, and then we kind of just go off and do our own thing anyway, and just expand on it. Um, maybe I'm just reading too much into it. No, I think that uh, I think that actually does happen, and it did happen in this case. So um, today we are kind of, um, um, I guess the topic that we're, we're talking about today is principles-focused evaluation. And kind of picking up, uh, we had um, an episode on this topic um, back in November of last year, uh, November of 2018, with uh, Kim Vandervoort of Reciprocal Consulting. And I think kind of the, the three of us kind of admitted at that point that um, we all have a strong interest in this area. Um, we kind of we're underst- we're kind of circling around it. We're kind of understanding pieces of it. Um, we're kind of building our knowledge of it, um, but none of us were really coming to the table as as being having like a, a strong uh, strong background in it necessarily. So we're definitely glad to have you on today to um, to talk to us a little bit more about this and maybe just to start. Um, what's kind of like an elevator pitch for for um, principles focused evaluation? If you had to give a summary. Maybe it'd be interesting, what kind of summary would you give to an evaluator who's never heard of it? And what kind of summary would you give to someone who is not in the evaluation field as to as to what this is? Well, the lineage to getting to maybe may be helpful in this regard. Um, when I was working with social innovators in Canada because of the work of the McConnell Foundation supporting social innovation, we did a book studying social innovation and social movements. Um, Francis Wesley, Brenda Zimmerman, and I, that became getting to maybe how the world has changed. And what we found was that social innovators and people who were making uh, major differences through social movements like Mothers Against Drunk Driving, Mohammed Yunus um, microfinance uh, initiative didn't begin with specific goals and logic models and strategic plans. They began with deep concern about some problem, some situation that they felt was unjust, like drunk drivers who kill people getting suspended sentences for their driver's license, but nothing else, Um, or poor women not being able to get any kind of of loan uh, because they lacked collateral. And these people who were concerned about these problems and doing something about them were operating out of a deep sense of principles of how things ought to be. And what drove them then was a concern about a major problem and a commitment to operating out of some deeply felt principles. The result of working on developmental evaluation, working with social innovators to try to adapt evaluation to social innovators, found again that Social innovators were trying things out, trying to navigate complexity, figuring out what the territory is, and um, guided not by clear plans or even always clear objectives, um, but were guided by principles. And so I got interested in looking at how does one determine the impact of being principles-driven, Um, What would it mean to evaluate principles? And it really came out of the work with social innovators. On the cover of the book is an Anutchuk, which um, is well known in Canada, but not known in other parts of the world. And 
those large human-like cairns in the tundra of the northern parts of Canada and and the Arctic um, are ways of navigating the wilderness in in the winter, in areas where there uh, are not roads that are predetermined and routes that are uh, already laid out. And principles are like that. They provide guidance for getting through the complexity uh, wilderness and that unknown terrain um, in trying to deal with very difficult, uh, wicked problems. Um, So I came to it not out of um, sitting around thinking about and making it up. All of my work and all of my books are utilization focused in the sense that I'm responding to what clients want. And in this case, social innovators um, were finding that traditional approaches to evaluation with predetermined goals and logic models didn't respond to their need for agility, flexibility, adaptability, emergence, um, nonlinear kinds of effects. And so uh, first developmental evaluation and then principles focused came right out of that response to people who are making their way in the world, trying to take on and tackle big problems um, as they experience how systems change. Michael, something that I really um, found interesting in the way that you framed your work, um, and I've heard you talk about this a few times, um, is, and it does come from this utilization focus of, um, and working with where people are at, as opposed to, and you've described how evaluators do this, um, kind of taking what people are working on and turning it into something that we feel we can evaluate. So, you know, turning things into uh, programs and and projects and models you've talked about before about how evaluation came up in the projects. Um, and that strikes me as one of those, I think one of the conversations we had with, with Kim in, in, in the episode in November was talking about the possibility of using this principles focused work in service of um, social justice. And one of the things I took away from that masterclass um, in, in March of the last year was how evaluation can be quite colonizing in how we come in and, and impose ways of thinking uh, on um, how people are working rather than working with how they are working. Um, and so like, that, that's the connection I see here. Well, and it's, it's not just evaluators. We're doing that because planners and designers and funders do that. So it's a a general mindset that has taken over the the world of trying to control things and make things happen from the ways that needs assessments are done, designs are done, how funding is done in projects, um, how implementers carry out projects and evaluators become a part of that. So we've created an entire kind of institutional way of thinking that it reduces the world to projects and programs. Um, and we do that very well. And there are, are places where that's important um, and ways in which that is of great service. But it also is not the way that innovation happens. And it doesn't uh, take on larger kinds of issues that uh, cut across 
sectors and credit cost levels and that don't reduce themselves to projects and programs. Mm-hmm. Now, I actually have another question to follow up on that um, or another thought. Uh, one of the things that I did in preparing for this episode was I also reached out to people I know who have worked in principles-focused evaluation or are trying to work in principles-focused evaluation and sort of said, if you got to ask questions to Michael Quinn-Patton about PFE, what would, you, what would you ask? And one of the responses that came back from someone who was interested in working on it but hasn't been able to yet was, um, you know, we, we haven't really gotten anyone to take this on board. This is the, I'm quoting now from the email. We present it, uh, they get excited, but want the status quo. So how do we remove barriers? And the thought I'm having now is also, and I think this came up in the last episode we did on this, could we, could we sort of end up doing the same thing with principles that we did with logic models where we get really, as evaluators, we get really excited about the potential and see the opportunity and then try to convince our clients that that's the way that they should go. You know, even if it's not like, I guess I see that tension point there. We might see like, Hey, this actually might be a really beneficial, valuable thing for you, but also is it, is it what the client, uh, wants and needs and and how do we navigate that kind of tension it's a it's a really important point and and i uh despite writing uh, books about these things developmental evaluation utilization focus as you said uh, qualitative methods uh facilitation and and principles focused evaluation i don't try to sell clients on anything um what i try to to do is to figure out how they're thinking about things, what issues they face, and offer them a menu of possibilities. Um, And I will um, very often, um, in fact, for some of the newer things like principles-focused evaluation, will say, um, well, you are, for example, a a, a collaboration, uh, each of which has your own organizations and and your own ways of working, and you are looking to do an initiative together, here are some ways that we might look at that, one of which is to look at the principles you share and see what direction the principles take you. Um, But I'll tell them this is um, a different approach than traditional program evaluation, Um, and so... Uh, it will require us to to work and think about these things in some different ways. Um, and then I'll explain what I've heard them say that makes me think that this might be appropriate, but I'm not trying to, to sell them on it. And uh, getting everybody on the same page, including funders who may be funding the evaluation, people who uh, are going to receive the evaluation results, that becomes part of the challenge. Um, the other thing I'd say about looking to, for opportunities to do this is I've long been a believer in going with the early adopters. I don't try to, to sell it to people um, as something that they ought to do. I'm looking for people who, for the most part, already get it. They don't, they're not happy with traditional evaluation. They're feeling that they've gotten into a compliance mentality around it. They're looking for alternatives. Um, And so I find that there's a great deal of enthusiasm among 
principles-driven people who are really doing principles-based work and love the fact that there's a principles-focused evaluation approach that meshes with how they see the world. That's the most common reaction I get from people is um, uh, finally there's an approach to evaluation that actually matches what we do. Mm -hmm. And so for the folks who do get excited but then maybe hold off. They're not certain, like they, you know, that sort of. They get excited, but they also want the status quo. Where, do you consider that kind of a place of, of of leverage, of possibility, or is the excitement and the buy-in sort of not necessarily enough to to push it? Uh, you know, it's it's sometimes possible for people to dip their toe into some aspect of what they're doing that is innovative without making it the entire evaluation. Uh, so the, uh, it, it, it's not incompatible to do principles-focused evaluation with aspects of the status quo or traditional evaluation. It's a way for people to get um, familiar with it and, and to try out some part of it. Um, but that part would be separate from whatever they're doing traditionally. And it usually is around some aspect of innovation or complexity or uncertainty um, where the traditional forms of evaluation not only don't help, but actually interfere and constrain what's going to be done. So it sounds a little bit like, um, yeah, the principles focus can be a little bit of uh, one component of a project where it's maybe more appropriate or where maybe it's a bit separate from, say, the, the main kind of uh, thrust of the evaluation. Say, if it's something that's for a funder requirement, the, the main kind of aspect of the evaluation, the principles focus piece could be kind of a, a foot in the door in a little bit of a sense, um, just to kind of introduce it, maybe both to the to the client who's interested, uh, and but also to then demonstrate down the road to the funder, like, see, we did this kind of piece of it using this way and this is how it benefited the project overall but here's the, the traditional formative summative uh, evaluation results to to keep you happy yeah and i think the the thing that often scares people about it um be, again because of the way in which we've institutionalized project thinking and program thinking um having smart goals having logic models is that they're um, there's a, a tendency to think that, that when people don't have all those trappings, that they don't know what they're doing. Um, and that, in fact, it's often inappropriate to impose those kinds of, of trappings of evaluation in innovative situations um, especially where collaborations or community engagement um, or uh, new arenas, uh, taking on new opportunities where we don't know what the path is, where it's not appropriate to set goals already or to lay out a detailed plan of action. Um, and that the, the absence then of those traditional trappings doesn't mean that people don't know what they're doing. It may mean they're doing something different. And what they're doing is engaging with the world through principles rather than through detailed plans. Got a, another question fr from the audience, I guess, um, that I think sort of ties in nicely with that, which is um, what advice do you have for people who are transitioning to using a principles-focused approach 
from having previously relied on trying to develop a program model. So they, they had had a direction of, okay, we're going to create a model, we're going to scale it, it'll sort of, we'll take that approach and have now realized, oh, actually, principles are going to give us more of the flexibility that we need um, when it comes to working across all these different um, places and sites. What what should people be looking out for in that kind of process? And the people you're talking about, are these the people trying to change the world or the evaluators or both? Uh, in this case, both. Okay. Um, so the the logic evaluatively is is still the same. Um, what we ask as evaluators uh, in a reality testing kind of way is, are we doing what we think we're doing and are we having the effects that we think we're having or hope that we're having? So the consistency of evaluative thinking does not change with principles-focused evaluation. We're still asking questions about whether or not what we think is happening is what's actually going on and whether what we had hoped would happen is what's actually going on. We're simply applying it to something called principles instead of something called projects or, or programs. And so a part of what becomes different for people is taking principles seriously. The the notion of principles is not really new to people. We talk about principled people um, all the time. People have examples in their minds of someone they think is principled. Most people think of themselves as principled um, and as following principles. Um, and sometimes they can articulate them. But they haven't typically thought systematically about the extent to which they actually are walking the talk are adhering to their principles, have articulated them in a way that's meaningful, use them to make decisions, and look at what results from following principles. And so what their what their folks are going to run into is uh, not unlike what happens with, with programs, and that is our task um, is to help people do reality testing. And in this case, that reality testing is around principles. Instead of simply going off to a retreat, generating a set of principles, putting them on the wall of the organization and never looking at them again, what principles-focused evaluation does is say, let's get real about these. Um, We've said these are the things that guide our behavior. Do they? And if they do, where do they take us? And so taking, taking seriously, whether in our personal lives, our organizational lives, our work, Uh, our relationships, whether we're actually adhering to the principles that we articulate is the bottom line of what principles-focused evaluation is about. Mm -hmm. And that, you know what, that actually connects with the the third question that I (laughs) heard from someone. These are all coming together quite nicely. These are from three different people. Um, But there was a third question, which was, uh, how do you help groups create principles that are grounded in practical reality rather than just aspirational wish lists. And I think that's coming from the same place as sort of noting that there's a tendency to, when we're thinking through our principles, kind of think about, yeah, these, we would love to have, these are these are all things that are important to us. These are the things we would love to live by. I'm sure we will. Let's sort of put them down uh, on, on a list and then, okay, so are these, are these principles then that are even 
feasible? Are they are they even reasonable? Do they actually connect to something that the group will actually do? Or is it more that kind of aspirational feel good kind of approach? Great question. And when I'm working with existing groups, so it's different to be working with a new group that's that's wanting to to organize around principles or a new collaboration that's coming together around principles. I'm working with people who are already engaged in in some way, um, and they're deciding whether or not they want to do principles-focused evaluation and make principles the centerpiece or a major part of what we're going to do. I don't ask them in the abstract what their principles are or even call them aspirational. What I like to do is to ask people to retrospectively identify a major decision that they've made within some time frame of memory that's still relatively fresh, and we'll debrief that decision and say, so what guided making that decision? Um, why did you go this way rather than that way? What alternatives did you consider? One of the things I emphasize in the Principles Focused Evaluation book and in Articulating Principles is that one way you know you've got a, a practical principle is you can articulate its opposite or a contrary principle. Instead of following this principle, we're following this other principle. And you can see how following a different principle would have taken you to a different place. So the, the practicality is grounded in that principles are behavior. And so behavioral. So we examine behaviors that people engage in, the decisions they make and the behaviors that flow from those decisions and generate the principles out of that lived experience. Uh, that makes them real rather than simply aspirational. Uh, and it helps look at the extent to which they are already explicit or work that we have to do to, to sort of pull them out of those decisions. Strikes me a little bit like being somewhat a similar approach to um, one approach for developing program theory, which is to kind of see how has the program been operating thus far, and then kind of what can we extract from that in terms of what's the underlying theory from that. But instead of trying to create a, a, a outcome chain or, or program theory, we're actually saying what is the kind of underlying principles for that. So, Michael, do you have any uh, favorite examples um, around principles-focused evaluation that you can share with us? Uh, I do. One of them was my favorite until a month ago, and it's been replaced by a new favorite. But the original favorite was the American uh, Association of Pediatrics in 1999 formulated a rule called no screens under two, which meant that there should absolutely be no exposure of children under the age of two to screens of any kind. Now, in 1999, there were only television screens and computer screens. Now we've got all kinds of devices with all kinds of screens. And after 20 years of research and evaluation in December of last year, they moved from a rule, no screens under two, to a principle, no screens under two without interaction. So no screens under two as a rule is absolute, no exposure to screens. No screens under two without interaction provides guidance, but that guidance has to be adapted to the age of the child. A six-month-old, one-year-old, one-and-a-half-year-old will be different kinds of interactions. 
how many children, what's on the screen, who the adults are. So the guidance is to interact, is to not use screens as babysitting, not just set down a child in front of the screen and leave, but to interact around whatever's on the screen to support child development. That's a nice example of moving from a rule to a principle. And it's quite uh, reasonable to think about evaluating that principle. I evaluated early childhood adult education programs where part of what we did in a, uh, a center where children and adults could interact, their parents could interact with toys and a TV, was video the interactions. And we had videos of parents sitting with their child in front of a TV where the parent is focused on the TV and their hand is moving in interacting with blocks or toys with the child, but they're never looking at the child. They're not really interacting with the child. And you'll actually see the child every so often follow the hand up to the person that that hand belongs to to see if there's really somebody there. That's not an interaction. Um, and and so no, um, no screens under two without interaction is quite evaluatable. And where it's result is aimed at is child development, is supporting child development. But that favorite got replaced a month ago when an extraordinary publication came out from the American Statistician, the official journal of the American Statistical Association, which is devoted to um, an entire issue to a world beyond P.05, in which they have taken the position of making a rule that one should never say statistically significant. They have in large letters, don't, 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 never, 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 do not say statistical significance. What they have replaced it with, statistical significance, because it was getting treated mechanistically as a rule, are four principles for statistical analysis. Now imagine... I want to invite everybody listening to think about the statistics course they had. I suspect anyone listening to this broadcast has had a stat course. And if these principles are taken seriously, a statistics course would now begin with something like the following. In this course, you're going to be learning about statistical analysis. And statistical analysis is based upon four principles. Be thoughtful, be open, be modest, and accept uncertainty. That's what you're going to learn how to do in this course. Wow. <laughs> that is a paradigm shift. Now, as a qualitative methodologist, those have always been our principles, so we're happy to see the quants embrace them. <laughs> um, but that constitutes quite a shift. Um, and it is completely in line with the movement in evaluation towards emphasizing evaluative thinking over evaluation procedures. And we've come to recognize that rigor does not reside in methods and procedures. It resides in thinking. And that's the thrust of the American Statistical Association proclamation that we ought to be thoughtful, be open, be modest, and accept uncertainty. So I think that the example of the statistical reframing 
as a set of thinking principles um, is very much in line with the emphasis on evaluative thinking in evaluation, that we've come to recognize that rigor does not reside in methods or procedures. It resides in rigorous thinking. And that uh, is one of the major developments of the last decade in evaluation is the increasing emphasis on our work being both engaging in evaluative thinking ourselves, but building the capacity of those we work with to think evaluatively. And that's a principle. One of the things that I really appreciate about the uh, principles approach is how much it does invite us to be really thoughtful. Uh, In the pediatrics example you gave, where there's a principle of no screens under two without interaction, it's not just enough to have and state the principle, you immediately have to start asking yourself, okay, so what do we mean by interaction? What will that look like? What counts as meaningful interaction? I know that I have been inspired to define uh, and identify my own principles uh, after having been exposed to principles-focused evaluation. Um, And those are things that I I put them up on my website. I share them with clients. I find it really useful as a way of just introducing people to who I am and how I work. And I have also found that by putting them out there, by making them explicit to others and to myself, I'm constantly having to check in on them and and reflect on them and ask myself like, okay, so, you know, what do these principles mean to you? Are you following them? What does it look like? You know, when you say things like, you know, being relational and collaborative and embracing multiplicity, um, what does that look like in your practice? And how do you actually um, practice that and carry that out? And then what does it mean for the work that you do? That's a common uh, thing that I hear from people. It certainly resonates with my own experience. Um, and as, a, as I said earlier, a part of that reflection is increasing awareness of the path you're not taking. What principle have you rejected in favor of the principle that you've embraced? And to be aware that um, there's often remaining baggage and incentives around those alternative principles. So it's not simple to make transitions to principles that you may be moving towards when we've been socialized into certain other kinds of of principles. Um, and, and that reflection helps us realize that there are choices to be made. Uh, and evaluating principles is getting serious about them, not just articulating them but being serious about them at the individual level, at the family, organizational, and in our work. So that brings me to um, something else that I've noticed in working with clients around their principles. Even if we haven't necessarily gone into principles-focused evaluation per se, I find having that conversation about principles very, very useful and enlightening. Um, and that's where principles can be in tension with each other. And I've seen this in a couple of ways. One might be that there are sort of two equally valued principles, but that don't necessarily play well together. So having a principle of wanting to support your client's autonomy, but also having a principle of wanting to ensure everyone's safety and autonomy and safety can sometimes give uh, guidance that's at odds. Um, And then also sometimes there are what I would call like behind the scenes principles. So you might have an explicit principle that really tracks with your organization's mission of um, 
engaging community, that it's really important to engage community in the work that you do. Um, and then you may also have some principles you're operating by that are more grounded in pragmatic realities. They may not be the principles you advertise, but things like um, conserve resources um, and you know, engaging community is a very resource intensive kind of thing. Whereas, um, you know, organizations are often operating in spaces where they don't have a lot of resources. So there's reasons behind both of them, but again, they, they don't necessarily play well together. I'm assuming you've encountered those kinds of tensions yourself. Well, you've actually identified one of the most common conflicting principles I've turned up, especially in, in philanthropy. Um, so it's very common in philanthropy to find Philanthropic foundations have a principle of being uh, relationship-oriented with grantees and also being lean and mean um, as a foundation, being efficient, as you said, uh, managing resources efficiently. And so being relationship-oriented and being lean and mean are very clearly in conflict. And in most foundations, um, the, the boards push the lean and mean piece. Um, they want to keep overhead low. Having a high overhead um, is uh, a, a no-no. And so the first thing is to actually identify the conflict, as you've done, um, and then look at where it comes from, how it emerges. And so a, a part of, of that conflict is the notion that efficiency is represented by low overhead, um, and staff time gets defined as overhead. Well, um, when staff are actually engaged on behalf of the foundation with grantees in doing the work, that's not overhead. Overhead is the paperwork associated with that. So we may look at staff work, look at the variety of things they do, and begin to view the staff work as assets divide the things that they do that are administrative from the things that they do that are programmatic. Uh, some foundations have staff that are very deeply engaged with communities. That's not administrative work. That's not overhead. And so we get more sophisticated um, about what kind of activity constitutes what kind of, of action and get inside the nature of the conflict, what the tensions are, um, and what that there's a principle that undergirds those conflicts, and that is the principle that effective organizations um, align their principles. They have principles that that synergize, that coalesce, that cohere. So if if you have a principle of coherence, then you want to look at how the the separate principles you have support each other. Um, and where they there's disjuncture or non-alignment is figure out uh, what to do about that. And that's an evaluation question. The related thing that comes up um, are principles that are widely cited and that people think are meaningful until you do the very kind of reflection you were talking about where you ask, Am I following that principle? Is it meaningful? What do I mean by it? What would it look like in action? So one of the most common principles in the nonprofit sector, the voluntary sector, philanthropic sector, government, even in the private sector, is do no harm. 
And from my perspective, that's a relatively meaningless principle because life is not about doing no harm. Most of life is about trade-offs. You take a leg to save a life. You take drugs that have side effects in order to deal with the main effect that the drug is addressing. We take time from one thing and devote it to something else. And in fact, a great deal of systems change is characterized by the overall principle of uh, afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. Systems operate to somebody's benefit. If we're changing systems, the people who are benefiting from those systems are going to feel like they're harmed. So the notion of doing no harm, um, change involves winners and losers in most cases, and uh, people who benefit more and people who benefit less. So when I work with organizations and say, so how would you know if you were doing harm? How does that principle provide you with guidance? The actual principle out of the Hippocratic Oath does not stand alone as do no harm. The Hippocratic Oath says, don't experiment on people when you don't know what you're doing, because that will be harmful. Operate out of knowledge. Um, And uh, so... Getting real about principles will, as you suggested, turn up conflicts, turn up vacuous principles. And then the third thing I found in writing the book is that there are a large number of books and articles and organizational documents that have the word principles in their title and have none in their content. Principle turns out to be a word that publishers and that people like to use as a title because it sort of carries a connotation that I've got something important I want to say, so I'm going to call it principles, but then they don't actually have any principles they've articulated. Yeah, and um, just in in response, um, I was thinking about uh, the point you made about uh, philanthropy, those two kind of conflicting principles, and I've done some work with um, uh, kind of multi-stakeholder groups, and uh, one in particular recently here in in Saskatoon, and we had kind of this conversation about um, maybe not quite as much as a a principle, kind of, we could probably word it better, but kind of like the idea of quick wins versus the the relational those that kind of long term um, building capacity building uh, connections with different um, stakeholders around an issue and um, I I think um, we kind of came up with um, that the quick wins people just don't want to make sure we're not bogged down in endless meetings um, and then the relational people especially from an indigenous perspective um, uh, agencies that work uh, primarily with in, in the indigenous population kind of recognizing that you no know, like relationship building is an important part towards um, actually achieving our goals and that. And uh, one tool actually that we used in particular was a colleague introduced me to it. It's called polarity management. And we can include this note in the show notes. But it's kind of the idea of, uh, like you were saying, Michael, kind of looking at these these tensions and then saying, what's the deeper principle behind this? What's the uh, what's kind of the, the the hope or the kind of the deeper purpose we're driving towards that kind of underlies these uh, seemingly contradictory ideas? And then what's kind of the fear that's maybe also kind of propelling us in either direction? So um, but yeah, um, kind of one question that I had um, related to, to principles focused evaluation. Um, it's it's been out now for a couple of years, I think, or it's it's been talked about for a little while now. Are there is there anything that's been kind of unexpected or surprising in terms of kind of the reaction to it from either the the evaluation field or from nonprofit organizations or other non evaluators who've been introducing this to? One of the places where there's been substantial pickup 
that I um, have appreciated has been among indigenous communities and indigenous evaluators who very much resonate to principles and, in fact, see this as giving a name to a way that they've always operated and the way that they think that that in indigenous cultures are not embedded in project and program thinking or linear thinking. Um, and so it, uh, it's, it's resonated there as something that affirms um, the ways in which uh, those indigenous cultures approach things and, and has felt natural to them. Uh, evaluation in its more traditional forms feels alien and imposed and colonial whereas principles feels much more attuned with uh, many in indigenous cultures. Um, the other place where uh, that it's taken me is global transformation, that when we're talking about our global crisis, um, global warming, but the air, the water, the land, equity issues, the extinction that we're now facing um, among species and human, human existence, that taking on transformation can't be project-based. Projects don't transform things. And so as the call for major and rapid global transformation occurs, that becomes principles-focused, has to be. Um, it involves different ways of engaging and thinking. And the uh, the, my newest book, which will be out in November, called Blue Marble Evaluation, is a reference to seeing the earth as a whole and is a set of principles for doing global transformation evaluation, what I call Blue Marble Evaluation. So, And one of the principles of Blue Marble Evaluation is connecting the local and the global, the indigenous and the scientific. Um, and so that... Those two directions um, have emerged out of this and uh, were not things I had in mind and are, are not present in the book. Hmm. Oh, that's really interesting. And I mean, I think one of, one of the things that has emerged for me in this conversation um, that maybe I was thinking about a little bit ahead of time, but it, it sort of crystallized in this conversation is that we, I know that, that, there's sort of principles focused developmental evaluation. So doing developmental evaluation in a way that involves principles. And that makes a lot of sense because you, it supports innovation. There's the flexibility um, and the adaptability, but I'm also realizing we can think about our principles. We can approach our principles focused evaluations um, developmentally in that I was I guess what I'm realizing in this conversation is we don't necessarily have to get our principles right the first time that we can be figuring them out. We can be revisiting them and, and addressing them and adapting them as we go. Would that be correct to say, Michael? Absolutely. Um, indeed, one of the challenges of working with principles is the number, not to have too many. Obviously, life is complex and there are a great many Principles. Sometimes there's a single overarching principle like nonviolence that guides everything. Um, and then there are operating principles that are within overarching principles that are somewhat like the difference between goals and objectives. And so often the overarching principles are more enduring 
but the operating principles that are more specific are where there's more developmental work is what subset of principles um, are more specific and guiding my behavior within an overarching principle. Um, and as people work with their operating principles, that sometimes leads to revisiting the overarching principle, which one really is overarching. Um, how many should we have and how do they connect together? That's all a learning process. It doesn't come out uh, in whole cloth the first time. And it, it is the case that as people evaluate principles, they revisit them. Mm-hmm. You can't really do this sort of thoughtful work without it leading to questions. You know, it's, it's, you can't necessarily resist the change. Um, even you hearing say like that you've had a whole book, you know, Blue Marble Evaluation coming out of principles focused evaluation that you, you didn't realize was going to be uh, a product of it when you started. And part of the change that I haven't mentioned is, you know, the way that you work with values, values are beliefs is they become principles when they become behavioral. And that means they need an action verb. So one of the challenges in doing principles-focused evaluation with groups is finding the right verb and our individual principles. So if you take something like um, being an inclusive or, or multidimensional, um, that uh, you can have the verb be, you can use a verb like embrace, demonstrate, model, um, attend to. And so what verb you choose as the, the imperative verb for a principle is one of the areas of development. What verb feels right um, and is going to articulate the level and nature of my commitment to this principle? Mm-hmm. Mm. Sounds like if we're going to engage in principles focused evaluation, we need to add a, a thesaurus to our, our bookshelves then, or at least a, <laughs> a guide to etymology, perhaps. <laughs> what's actually the meaning behind these words and, and what's the, the connotations that people have? Because it, it might seem like a, like wordsmithing or, or being really picky, but words have power. I'm interested as we as we come to toward the end of the episode, I, I would be really interested in hearing some of the principles that we have that we're operating from like michael have you found this process have you has it um have you discovered principles in yourself that you didn't know about before or do you have principles that that have become more strongly articulated uh they have because i do get asked in workshops about my own principles one of the exercises i open workshops with is having people identify a principle that guides their life or work and then having them examine those through the guide framework that I offer in the book for articulating um, principles. And, uh, and so it is, it has challenged me to, to be able to share and articulate um, my own principles. And uh, that's led to discussions with my, my grown children about um, principles. They've become interested in, in this um, and in, the implications of it to a much greater extent than the other aspects of evaluation that I do. Principles um, have a, a, a kind of greater uh, general interest than the nuts and bolts of evaluation. We all are dealing with principles at some level. And so it makes for um, important and interesting conversations, including the, the fact that, that, um, uh, 
principles are not inherently good or bad, so that people who are are operating from different value systems, um, white nationalists have principles um, that the white race ought to be premier and be in control, be first, is better. Uh, and, and so being clear about the implications of our principles, the value basis of those, um, in, is integral to uh, the fabric of our society and our dialogue about what we care about. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Michael. This mm-hmm. has been a really great conversation. I feel like I'm coming away once again just with more depth of understanding around principles-focused evaluation and a sense that I have deeper to go as well. And I hope that uh, this has been helpful for our listeners. Mm-hmm. Is there anything uh, else that you want to share with us? Anything that you want our listeners to know about something that might be coming up sometime soon? Um, Well, first, let me thank uh, both of you for uh, both hosting me and for doing the podcast. They're a tremendous uh, contribution. I've been able to listen to several of them and uh, you're making a great contribution to the field. I feel uh, privileged and honored to have had the opportunity to talk with you about this. The, uh, I mentioned the Blue Marble Evaluation book that will be out in November. It will be launched at the American Evaluation Association meeting in Minneapolis in November. And uh, that is based upon principles. So that will be a very clear manifestation of what we've been talking about and taking it to the next level. That's it for this episode of Eval Cafe. Thank you to all our listeners. Please check out the rest of our episodes on Pinecast, iTunes, or Google Play or by going through our website, evalcafe.wordpress.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at evalcafe. And if you want to drop us a line, you can find us at evalcafe.podcast at gmail.com. Musical credits go to Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com for poppers and prosecco or intro theme, and dispersion relation or outro, as well as to Tim at tabletopaudio.com for the lively cafe ambiance in our intro. All right, I'm going to hit stop record. Uh, it's, it's showing that there's noise. I'm thinking some... I think we're outside. I think Michael is bringing us somewhere. <laughs> kind of an adventure. Yeah, we're definitely on a journey somewhere. This is kind of fascinating. <laughs> this is an emergent podcast. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you're editing this one. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is going to be great for the blooper reel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I think we... I think it sounds like he maybe is doing something to, i don't know maybe he's got it trying to find somewhere with a better connection yeah. yeah let's check in when he gets back and see okay he's got a better sense of how this connection seems to mm-hmm. pan out than we do okay so he has disappeared again so he's not standing connection. on his roof with a, his laptop in hand or anything like that <laughs> okay now i have a visual of that <laughs>